All right, everybody, how we doing? Welcome back to another episode of Ohioverse. I am Nick, and I am joined by Greg, as always. What's up, Greg? What's going on? Heck yeah. Um, we got like kind of a, a mixed bag of an episode here. We'll talk about baseball, football, um, and basketball, but not the professional basketball. We're going to talk about a little bit of college basketball and maybe a slight disappointment we might have with that. But um, that's kind of what we got on deck for this episode but let's go ahead what do you mean you don't want to talk about the calves and they're just complete collapse that's just surprising what happened didn't i predict that to happen didn't rj barrett just destroy them in game six i don't know that's just my take on it but i guess we didn't want to talk about that so Uh, we'll we'll skip over that you know what you know if i let's let's talk about it all right you know what that's fine because we, because I had this, we there'll be an episode that'll come out probably later this week between Dom and David and I, and we had this conversation too a little bit. But I, I don't understand what happened. I think, like when I looked at it, I think it honestly boiled down to Donovan Mitchell just like not showing up. But I'm interested from I guess an outsider's point of view, what what you kind of thought the reason for the downfall of the Cavs were in that 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 series. I mean Brunson just like why he's not like an all-star is is shocking mm-hmm. he, he's just he's he's a force to be reckoned with even through the the heat series i mean he just continuously showed up and and was playing lights out rj barrett was playing lights out i just the, the the whole team in general and i think that there was too much inexperience on the Cavs side and and donovan mitchell got to a point where he's like guys i can't carry the entire team every single game and you're not going to carry the team through a through you know multiple series and into an nba championship so in to some degree i agree with you that he didn't show up because it possibly got to a point it was like well what's the point what's the point of showing up if if this isn't going to last and i'm not going to go out of my way and kill myself for a win or two that we're not going to make it any farther so I don't know, but I, I did predict that the Knicks would, would beat them. So I, to put that I mean, I, I thought it'd be a close series. I just, I don't know. I, I didn't think that it'd be as bad as it was. Like it definitely, because I mean, they got blown out twice in that series, which is definitely something I didn't really see coming. Um, obviously the Knicks had their own struggles in the next series. So I can only imagine what that would have been if we would have gone on to face the Miami heat, but I don't, I just, I view it like I get what you're saying too, but I just view it as like every single time we've seen Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs since he's kind of come into the league and he just always has kind of seemed to not be able to be as efficient as he was in the regular season. Like you have guys like um, Jimmy Butler right now who's just destroying everybody in the playoffs, but in the regular season, he seems almost human and in the playoffs, he seems like Superman. So, but Donovan Mitchell almost flips that role. Like in the regular season, he's, he's having 71 point games, but in the postseason, he's, he's inaccurate. He's inefficient. He's not able to lead. He's not able to galvanize guys. Like it's just a very interesting, I don't, I don't know how they fix that. Um, I don't know how he fixes that. I'm not saying it's all his fault. Cause obviously the other guys on the team needed to step up and play it at another level, but. Well, to your point on that, Jimmy Butler makes players around them better. Mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't make players around him better. If you can lift up other players and lift up the team, everybody's going to play at a higher level, and you're going to win games. If you're just playing for yourself and you're not being—I don't want to not call him a leader, 
But if you're mostly playing for yourself and you're not trying to elevate the team, losses are going to come with that. Yeah. I, I just don't know where they turn to at this point because, I mean, I, I had this argument with, with Dom the other day about Kevin Love and, and that I had that I asked him that question. I was like, do we think it was a bad move for them to let him go? Not that he's like setting the world on fire in Miami, but obviously you can see in instances his veteran leadership. You can see him coming on, you know, the floor playing, you know, good defense. He may not be scoring a bunch of points. Or, and I think there was one game he was super inefficient, but um, I just, I think maybe that's a guy that we might miss depth wise in this playoff run. And then maybe a guy that had the experience that maybe could be that leader. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just I just don't know where we turn to at this point because when you when you have one of your stars on your team and Jared Allen say that he thought the lights were too big for them, that's not a good sign. Like that's not a I, I just didn't expect them to to I guess crumble like that. And it was just a very I don't know, it was just very disheartening. So I just don't know where they go in this offseason. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell, he's he's a really good player but I think he has to look within and figure out if he's just going to be an all-me kind of guy and they're going to have to surround him with guys that can just self-motivate um, or if he's going to be able to be a guy that can that can be a true leader and motivate the rest of the squad to play at a higher level. I mean, to your Kevin Love point, you know, does that what does that say about Cleveland and the culture and the leadership that he has in Miami to be able to play at a higher level in Miami than he did at Cleveland based on coaching and culture. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, and that's, I, I, I don't know. I, I think again, it just, it goes back to that point where like, I don't think Laurie Markkinen would have tilted the scale so much. that This is a complete championship team, but another guy that can self-motivate himself and, and put, put the, you know, ball in the basket. Like I just, I just view that loss too as is such a big loss for this season. So I think they have a lot of work to do in the off season because they don't have a true leader and they either need to figure out if Donovan Mitchell is going to be that true leader, or they need to go out and get a guy who's going to be a true leader. Even if they're not, you know, like you look at the warriors, like Draymond green is, is clearly the like guy who pushes that team and, and gets them to play at a different level. You know what I mean? Like, but he's not the best player on the team. So they need a guy like that. They just need a voice in the locker room that can push the right buttons and say the right things um, and, and get guys to play at a higher level. I don't know. It's definitely interesting. But I will say, though, there's the Cavs. The only pick they didn't trade was the 2024 pick. So a lot of people are saying maybe they're trying to set themselves up to go get Bronny James. Um, and then that would maybe bring LeBron back to Cleveland for a couple more years. Maybe they can try to push for a championship, but good transition into Mr. Bronny himself. Obviously, if you guys didn't see, he ended up picking USC as the school he wanted to play for in college and not Ohio State. Um, so my question that I had in here for Greg was, how big of a loss is that for the Ohio State basketball program? Um, and then maybe on top of that, how big of a, a get is that for USC, um, knowing that they have, I think, two guys who are in the top five for college recruits this year also that are going to be joining that team. I mean, so I'll start with the USC part of it. I mean, he's going to a, a team that has made the NCAA tournament three straight years. Um, they've won 20 plus games in seven out of the last eight years under coach Andy Enfield. Um, 
So I think, you know, he's, he's playing with Collier, um, who's like an excellent on the court fit for Bronny um, because of his skill set. So um, I think that switching gears to the Ohio state aspect of it, um, you know, if you would have picked Ohio state or Oregon, or even you, you CLA, um, there wouldn't have been another player on the roster who would have been like a superior NBA prospect. So if he struggles in USC or if USC in, in any sense struggles over next season, it won't be on Bronny's shoulders um, to shoulder that pressure. Um, there'll be somebody else to look for, you know, to look forward to on that. Um, as far as like Ohio State goes, you know, first of all, you know, Bronny isn't nearly as good as what his, his dad is. There's, there's no question that he's not, you know, that elite level of, you know, he's an average player, very average at best. Um, he's a four-star recruit. Um, so it's not like the the Bucks lost out on a top flight recruit that could have helped them immediately. And, you know, another aspect of it is it's good for the Buckeyes because they avoid all that craziness that could have kind of would come from Bronny committing to Ohio State. Um, it's already going to be an extremely young team with a little, very little veteran or veteran leadership. So adding a media circus to all that would not be a good thing at all. I mean, and then Chris Holtman's seat is scalding at this point. So why would Bronny want to move back into the Midwest to play in a situation like that? So it allows the Buckeyes to focus more on proving from like the awful season they had last year without all that added drama and the microscope isn't going to be on them as much. So I think it's a win for Ohio State when it really comes down to it. I, I do I do agree with some of the points you made about Ohio State. I don't know if you could say it's a win when you lose out on a guy like that. I don't know if he's like av- – I wouldn't say he's average at best. I think he's taken a big stride. Obviously, he's not where his dad was at this point. You know what I mean? At, at the age that he is. I don't think we're going to really see – anybody who's at that point like that's pretty much ready to go that's going to be a a 20 point you know 26 and 6 guy coming right out of high school like I just don't think we're going to see that for a long time if not ever again um because Bron's just he's a freak but I I do think Bronny with USC that's I think that's potentially that should be probably the preseason number one um because they have him and then like I said I think it's like not maybe not top five guys, but they have at least like they have the number one recruit um, from this class. And then they have like another top 10 guy or something like that. So this is definitely a loaded roster. Like you said, they've had this success. So they already have, you know, some of the older guys that are on that roster that were a part of that, you know, previous maybe team or two. So they're, they're ready made to make a run at the championship this year. And I think that'd be good for Bronny to get in there, get some more experience, uh, before he declares for the draft in 2024. I don't really see him doing too many years. I agree. I think Holtman's seat's super hot. Um, so maybe that is a good decision for Bronny not to go into a volatile situation like that where it's kind of a you make the tournament or else kind of thing. And and I think there may be even more to that where they want him to go farther. But definitely sucks for um the program when you need a guy that can kind of get a bucket and they don't really have too many guys like that. But I know they're, I kind of figured this was coming because they had filled out their roster already of like the 13 people on scholarship. 
Um, so unless Bronny was going to come in as a walk-on or they were going to kick somebody off a scholarship, I didn't think we were getting him anyway. Cause they had, like I said, they had already filled all their scholarship spots up. So um, that's a tough one, but no, I, I, I mean, think it would. How, how early do you think did, did he inform them of that then? Um, Cause I think it was what, like a month ago that we had learned that they had filled their last spot in a transfer um, from a transfer guy. So, I mean, I, they probably just thought that they weren't getting him. I mean, when you're recruiting somebody, you kind of know when you're being iced out or maybe he told them and he was just waiting for like the right time to announce it. Um, and that could have been their family just kind of waiting. Cause obviously with Braun in the playoffs and all this stuff happening, they're very smart when it comes to social media as well too. So maybe they were waiting for the right time to do an announcement like that as well. But I think they probably saw the writing on the wall, you know, maybe contact broke down those kinds of things. So, but I don't know. Definitely, definitely be interesting. I think, like you said, hot seat for, for this year. I think if they have another year, like they do last year, I don't know if he makes it out of this season. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So I think they we get through half the season if they're not looking great. He might be gone. So that's something that we'll have to watch closely because this program, I've mentioned this before, like this program's never been, I want to say a top five program in the country. I don't want to, I don't want to confuse the Ohio state basketball program for this like great historical basketball program, but there has been times and there has been stretches where this team has been able to compete and consistently make it to the, you know, the tournament, make it past the round of 16. Like they've had guys that have gone on to play in the NBA and have, and have had pretty long NBA careers. Um, So it's just, it's very just interesting that we haven't really seen the same level of talent that's come through um, over the past, like I would say 10 years, especially under Holtman. I mean, obviously they've had guys drafted, but most of those guys have been late first round picks, second round pick guys um, that are kind of role players that come off the bottom of the bench. So I just I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how long they kind of decide to let him be mediocre um, before they decide to move on. So I don't know. Anything else you wanted to add to this? No, no, I think we're good. Okay, all right. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the NFL. So we're not going to get too deep into both of these rosters with the Bengals and the Browns, but I wanted to get our like too early record prediction for this upcoming season, just kind of based off of what the rosters look like right now on paper and what we might think that they'll do this upcoming season. So we'll go ahead and start with the Bengals. Um, Greg, what's your too early record prediction for the season for the Bengals? I think they'll probably finish with a better record than they did last season. So I'm going to kind of stick with a 13 and four mark. That seems reasonable. Um, it would be the first time in their franchise history that they won 13 regular season games. So I think that that's quite plausible for them to do it. I mean, obviously they had that 0 and 2 start last year with the blowout loss from the Browns on Monday night. Um, and so they were four and four to start the first four games. And then they went on like an eight game, um, eight game winning streak to end the regular season. So um, I think, I think we're looking pretty good for them. Um, I don't know how much you read into this, but they only have four primetime games. And I feel like 
when you're not necessarily on that microscope or the primetime games, maybe the pressure's off a little bit. So um, you might play at a different level, but I mean, I don't know how much you'd read into that. Um, the biggest home games are going to be with the Buffalo Bills in week nine. Um, that's going to be that first time that um, Gabar Hamlin comes back to the stadium. So that's, that's a big thing. So um, definitely uh, better than last year. Um, definitely with a 13-4 record. So that seems plausible to me. That's all I got. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I, I think they – I think they end at 12 and five this year um, kind of with the AFC North just on paper at this point, especially how they kind of beat each other up last year. I basically have them, you know, winning their home, losing their way at this point until we kind of see what the, you know, preseason looks like the beginning of that regular season looks like and what these teams kind of pan out to be. I think that they all kind of beat each other up anyway. So I think them having a one and one against each other, think this division is probably going to be one of the better ones in football this year. Um, so that gives them their, at least their three losses right there. And then I think that during the regular season, they drop their bills and chiefs game this year. So I, that gives them their two other losses that gives them five. So not saying that they won't be able to beat them in the playoffs, but I just think that the chiefs, their defending champions, um, I still think that they yeah, they, but bro, bro has his number. His yeah, yeah. Number. I I just I I think they got better in in the off season in the draft somehow. Um, I think that the I know that the Bengals. You know, obviously we had you know um, what they didn't get to play in the regular season, but they played in the postseason. So I but I do think that the Bills are a pretty good team. I just have right now on paper looking at it the teams the way that they are. I have those two losses at this point. Um, like I said, that that could change. I don't think that those are blowout losses. I don't think the Bills or the Chiefs blow out the Bengals. I think they're close games. They come down to like a final drive. Somebody has to win the game. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily Joe Burrow's fault, but I just, I'm not, I need to see what that Bengals defense looks like um, with all the people that departed before I can be like, they can stop a guy like Patrick Mahomes or they can stop a guy like, um, Josh Allen, um, if they have the opportunity to have a final drive to win the game. So if that defense proves to be, you know, good and that they can stop those guys, then I will happily be wrong at that. But I think they end at 12 and five. Um, and I, I think they have a good season. I think they, I think that they win the North. I think it's going to be tight. I think it'll be separated by like a game or two between, um, at least the top three teams, um, with the Steelers maybe being like, four games behind them or something like that. So, um, but yeah, let's go on to the Browns. What you got for the Browns? I get the Browns a little bit less. I got them an 11 and six record, uh, splitting the division, um, to finish on a seven game win streak, um, and storming into the postseason. So, uh, I think if Watson can even be 80% of the player he used to be, the Browns should be in playoff contention, I mean, obviously, he didn't start, what was it, the first nine games of the season? He was suspended? Yeah, I think so. Or he was he was out for eight games, but it was like nine weeks because I think they were yeah. in a bye week, yeah. All right, so I think that putting him in there and um, having him a full year of conditioning with the team and, you know, all of that put into play, I think that he comes out um, – a lot stronger of a QB than, than he was last year. And and that's a long to give him. I don't know if he's going to be, 
you know, the the way he was with Texas. But um, I, I, I see them at least making the postseason. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the when I kind of look at it, I think the Ravens and the Browns will tie at eleven and six in that division. Um, I had eleven and six with them too. Obviously, I had them splitting their series with the rest of their division, and then I had them losing to the Seahawks, um, the Jags, and the Jets. So I think the Jags are kind of a similar team. Um, I think the Jags could be a game that I could give to the Browns, depending on what Deshaun Watson looks like that first part of the season. If he kind of comes back and he's that dude that we saw from Houston and he's a top five quarterback, like everybody thinks he's still going to be able to be, then I think that Jags game becomes a win and they end up being 12 and five. And I think it really kind of comes down to tiebreakers at that point with the Bengals. Um, But I do see them losing to the Jets. I like as long as Aaron Rodgers comes out and he plays like Aaron Rodgers, I think that's a pretty complete team. I really like their defense. I like their offense. Um, And then, like I said, for some reason, Seattle to me seems like a a trap game. Like I think everybody's going to overlook Seattle again this year. And I think they did phenomenal in the draft. And I think that Geno Smith is going to be consistent again this year. And hopefully they can only build off of what they had last year. So um, but yeah, 11 and six, I think we agreed. I don't know if we had the same losses in their record for them, but um, yeah, 11 and six. Anything else you wanted to add to these two teams? No, no. I mean, I, I still despise Deshaun Watson passionately, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's something we could talk about later, or you know, never again at all. Whatever. Yeah, we don't have to talk about it ever again. We'll just, I guess, focus on his his play on the field as long as he stays clean off the field. And I don't know. It'll be. I am. I am interested to see what he what he returns to and what percentage he returns to because. I think a lot of people, especially those in the Browns organization, are betting on the fact that he's going to be that top five quarterback that we saw before everything happened. And I'm wondering how long ownership for the Browns waits to see him turn into that before heads start to roll. You know what I mean? Like, I think there, I was um, listening to like the sports talk radio around here, and they were saying, you know, that they, one guy thought the Browns might start like five or like one and five or something like that. I don't really see that happening, but, um, but he was like, if that happens, then he thinks that they'll, they'll change coaches right then and there, but definitely an interesting mindset. I think there's a lot of people that look at, you know, the coaching staff there and the general manager staff, and they kind of are putting a lot of weight on them to win now uh, because obviously the window's very small with, you know, the cap room, but at the same time, people want want to see either them be wrong about Deshaun Watson or they want them to see right, be right. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how this season goes about and what Deshaun Watson goes out there and proves to do now that he has like an actual off season with the team. So, and he's got to go up against Joe Burrow. He's got to go up against Lamar Jackson. And, you know, we don't know what Kenny Pickett's going to be, but that Steeler defense is always you know, top five in the league. So he's he's going to sure. have to go against that. So I think that at the end of the day, it's it's going to be a struggle for every team in that that division. But I don't know. It'll be it'll be. I think I think we get three teams from this division in the playoffs next year. I don't know what combination of three teams, but I think three teams go in there. And as of right now, like I said, I think it would be probably the Bengals, Browns, and Ravens. As much as that hurts me as a Steelers fan, but. 
like I said, we don't know what Kenny Pickett is going to turn into. Obviously, they had that little run at the end of the season, but he still has probably some development to go. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's go into our last topic here. Obviously, our resident baseball expert with the podcast here, Mr. Host of the On Deck Show. Um, I don't think the Guardians are doing like awful, awful, but compared to last season, you know, where do you kind of see the struggles at with them right now? And, you know, what do you think they need to do to turn the corner and kind of, I guess, put themselves in a similar situation to where they were last year? Where to begin? Uh, They need to score runs. (laughs) Uh, That's been the story of playing baseball over the last few weeks. They can't score runs. And that struggles, I don't think, show any signs of going awake. And obviously the opposition is exploiting them. Uh, Power and slugging have become one of the team's biggest issues, and they can't just uh, tally together extra base hits, let alone hit home runs. I think they entered uh, the day 29th in runs per game, 30th in home runs, and 30th in slugging percentage. Um, So they've definitely struggled against lefties, and that goes all the way back to last season um, when they were going against Nestor Cortez and the ALDS. And the team has been able to pick up a few wins because of the solid pitching performance, but that's, you know, they've only won those games by a couple runs, uh, just enough to walk away with the, the victories. So to play devil's advocate and, and talk about the, the wins of last season or the, the how good they, you know, ran away with the division towards the end, um, they did start last season 17 and 20. So that's, you know what I mean? That's, kind of where they're at now so there's a lot of youth still you know playing in that and as as youthful as they were last season um having 500 or 600 at bats in the big leagues doesn't make them veterans in any way shape or form so i think they're gonna have to take some lumps and make some adjustments you know and then in the long run i think it's going to be a good thing for the team um, and they're going to be able to come better out the other side um and I, I always praise Tito Francona as, as I mean, I think he's one of the um, hall. He's a Hall of Fame manager for sure, uh, and I, I think that, that he has got the ability to to make the best of whatever they can do. And I think towards the end of the year, you'll or the season, you'll see them still in contention for um, postseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. I know the red season and. They kind of have a similar record to the Guardians. They're a little bit, I think, probably like, what, four or five less wins. So definitely interesting to kind of see if the Guardians can turn it around. I do hope they do. Um, I think, But I think they're only second in their division right now, so it's not like they're – and they're, I think they're only down by, like, four or five games. So it's not like they're way out of winning their division. Um, so it's definitely a possibility for them to turn it around. Do you think there's, like, a guy or two they could go get before the trade deadline to maybe fix that offensive struggle? Um, or do you think they just kind of stay course, develop the guys that they have, um, and just try to make a playoff push that way? Yeah, I mean, I think that they stick with with their grouping of guys they have. I mean, they don't have a lot of cap space to begin with on that. So I think that they're going to um, try to develop those talents and, and move forward. And you, you, like we talked about this many times, you give this team another two or three seasons um, with a lot of experience and then possibly adding some veteran bats throughout those next two or three years uh, due to free agency. I, I see them 
getting back to that you know the the late 90s uh style of baseball that that you know cleveland has been able to show that they can be yeah we'll have to uh we'll just have to wait and see so we'll kind of maybe we'll give it a them about a month to play some games we'll come back and talk about what this you know what this next month looks like for them um and and where that puts them kind of going forward but definitely interesting I, I think it wouldn't hurt to try to go get one guy but obviously you don't want to give up a lot to go get somebody so i don't know maybe say the course to keep developing that's that's kind of their mantra and then they're competitive for about four or five years and then they restart so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll kind of see how that turns out well let's go ahead and finish this episode off with our double take segment i'll let you go ahead and go first all right. Uh, well, Jack William Nicholas, obviously nicknamed the Golden Bears, uh, you know, was a professional golfer and is now current golf course designer. He's widely considered one of the best, greatest golfers of all time. He won 117 professional tournaments in his career. But he was really dominant in the 70s, 70 to 79. So in the 70s, Jack Nicholas played in all 40 majors. How many of them did he make the top 10? 40? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty close. I mean, he uh, 35 out of okay. the 40 majors that he played in the 70s, he made the top 10. So his his five uh, misses were uh, he tied for 49th in the 1970 U.S. Open. He tied for 13th in the 1972 PGA Championship. Then he did pretty good from 73, 74, 75, 76th. He tied for 11th in uh, the U.S. Open. In 78, he did not make the cut in the PGA Championship. And in 79, he was tied for 65 in the PGA Championship. So it looks like he he does the he did the worst in the PGA Championship, but obviously those major he won the U.S. Open in 1970, won the PGA Championship in 1971, he won the Masters and the U.S. Open in 1972, won the PGA Championship in 73, nothing in 74, he won the Masters in 75 and the PGA Championship in 75, and then he won the U.S. Open in 1978. Okay, you know what's funny. We both had uh, had golf facts this week. <laughs> nice. We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> no, because I, I was thinking about the Memorial Tournament's coming up, what, like next week, two weeks from now? Um, so I was kind of trying to, like, find some some fun facts about that one. Um, but I kind of have, like, a little combination of, of two. So do you know who has the most wins at the Memorial Tournament? Tiger? Yep, he has five. Do you know who's second most? Current or... Or Def- definitely how? probably retired by now. Uh, Chi Rodriguez. I don't know. Nope. Uh, a man by the name of Kenny Perry. He has three. But what I found interesting is the first time that he won was in 1991. He didn't win again until 2003 and 2008. But that puts him for the 2003 and 2008 puts him for two of the top five oldest people to win the Memorial tournament. 2003, he was 42. And then in 2008, he was 47. So that puts him, cause I think Jack Nicholas won it in 1984 when he was 44. So that puts him about three years older than when Jack Nicholas won it. Okay. So I thought that was like an interesting, like, cause I, I was like, well, cause I had kind of figured tiger had the most, but then I was kind of looking at all the other people and, 
um, because Jack Nicholas has two. Um, so, but then looking at Kenny Perry, I was like, I have no idea who that man is. <laughs> so I was looking <laughs> at all the other stats and I was like, that's pretty cool. Um, that he did it when he was just basically probably towards the end of his career there. Um, and he was basically almost like 48 years old when he won it the, se- the third time and almost 43 years old when he won it the, the, uh, second time. So just a, an interesting thing. So. Maybe one day we'll get we'll go cover the memorial tournament or something and have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, if if you guys listening have any ends on us getting like press passes for memorial tournament, you know, hit us up. We'd uh, we'd love to do it. Yes, yes, I will go out there and get as sunburnt as possible just to cover it. It'll be fun. <laughs> so, but other than that, guys, that pretty much does it for this episode. Um, I know we didn't do one, do a couple of them. We'll try to get back into the swing of things, be a little bit more consistent. Um, obviously baseball is going to start hitting its stride. Um, we'll hit football coming up here in a couple months. And obviously we didn't even talk about the MLS, but if you're not watching FC Cincinnati, start watching them. They're second in their conference right now. Um, the crew's struggling just a little bit, but FC Cincinnati looks like a true contender for the uh, championship this year. So if you're not watching those games, pop them on. They're usually like every Saturday night at like seven 30. It's a little bit too late for me. The sense I got to be at work at 4am, but <laughs> I usually try to watch the highlights afterwards. So, but again, I'm Nick. I'm joined by Greg. This was another episode of Ohioverse presented by deep dive sports. Make sure you follow us on all social medias at deep.dive.sports and let us know what you want us to talk about next, but until next time, guys. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of Ohioverse. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio, go ahead and follow Ohioverse Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one. Mm-hmm.